0: Well, I think this is the longest series I've done so far. This is the eighth uh, of a series that I'm doing uh, on the Lord's Prayer. I've got two more to go after this, so uh, in the end it will be ten. Um, and I've d- really been doing this series um, because I just I feel the Lord's Prayer is actually a, a wonderful thing to, to, to deal with. Um, and I've said before that um, I was taught about 30 years ago that it wasn't just something that the Lord's Prayer is not just a, a, a series of words that we sort of say off in services or when we're in trouble. Uh, you know, it, it tends to get sort of downgraded to a mumbled thing. Uh, but actually, um, John Pettifull, a, a theological teacher, uh, gave me this idea that the Lord's Prayer is actually a combination lock. And that if you turn that combination in the right way, It's a combination lock to open the gate to eternal life. And that if you actually follow through the attitudinal thoughts that are in the Lord's Prayer, it puts you absolutely in the right place to open your heart to that experience of eternal life. Um, And I'll just do a quick uh, previously on, uh, as I've done before, which is to say that the way that it works is, is just that each affirmation leads you to the next place. So... Saying, and the way that the Lord's Prayer is done in this version is slightly different. I put it on your service sheet so you can have a look at it if you want to. Um, but it starts "Father of us. And that is the acknowledgement of other. You acknowledge the fact that it's just not you and nothing else. That there is an other. That there is something greater than ourselves that's, that's there. It's an expression of an ultimate order. And really to do that totally changes things in our lives. Once we acknowledge there's another, then it all becomes, how do you cooperate with that other? Because there is one that exists, supposedly. So, father of us, the existence of other. Father of us, and, and it's, a, it's a collective thing as well. We're all equal within that. Father of us, the one who is in the heavens. And it places the, the actual existence of that other within us. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And therefore, when you say, father of us, the one who is in the heavens, we're saying... That It's right here, right now, and that we are like a, like a sponge at the bottom of the ocean. That, that spirit is all around us and within us. Father of us, the one who is in the heavens, hallowed be thy nature. Uh, our only response as a creature to a divine being is to hallow it, is that worship. So it's the humility that's needed. We need that humility. Father of us, the one who is in the heavens, hallowed be your nature. May your kingdom come. May this all be resolved in, in the final moments. May we move towards that. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. In other words, may I give up my will to that greater will. May I be a part of that. Give us this day our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Show me what it's about. Enlighten me. Enable me to be a light person within this, to dance my life. Cancel our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. Let me forgive myself and also forgive those around me so I can be completely free. And let us not be led into temptation, but rescue us from evil, which we're going to talk about now. You know, enable me to let go of my desire to control, and may, may I not be the effect of others' desire to control me. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, an affirmation of Everything comes from that source, now and forever, and it is an eternal nature. And we open ourselves to that eternal nature. So that's the way it actually works, <clears throat> in terms of the way that the the actual words work. And they, each one opens you up. And it's a lifetime's work, as I said before, you know, to do that. But it really does give you that place. And 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 last week we talked about forgiveness, cancel. Our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us and today we're addressing let us not be led into temptation but deliver us from evil and you know there is only one temptation there is only one temptation and that temptation is the temptation to make things go the way that we want them to go to the temptation of our ego to actually try to control things rather than allow our lives to flow with that life force. And the reason that these two phrases are joined together, let us not be led into temptation but deliver us from evil, is that the only evil that anyone can do is to try to force things to go their way. That's really the only evil you can do is to try to force things to go their way rather than allowing their lives to flow with that life force. In other words, this line is saying, may I not do evil and may I not be the effect of the evil of others. That's what this is saying. So it's really following on from may your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. In other words, you know, I let go of my will to that greater will. And also give us this day our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning in that it's about giving up to that flow of life rather than trying to affect a particular outcome, which is what we're always trying to do. Um, As it says in the Tao Te Ching, fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill. Keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. Chase after money and security, and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval, and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. But, you know, if we're honest, our temptation is to, try, is to try and fill our bowl to the brim, to chase after money and security, and to get people's approval. I mean, you know, that, that seems to be the way of the world. So that's the sort of sense of that, that temptation. And then we get on to evil. And, of course, evil is a strong word. We use it in today's culture. We use the word evil in today's culture to demonize people. When you're called evil, you're really beyond the pale. When you're called evil, you're beyond the pale. And, And you know that expression, beyond the pale, means outside the palace, which is the Latin word for fence. Beyond the pale means outside the fence. And those who are evil are considered outside of normal society. You know, Pol Pot, Hitler, murderers, child molesters. We want those who are thought of as being evil to be somehow beyond civilization, beyond humanity, outside the fence. The Oxford English Dictionary says that This word is the most comprehensive adjectival expression of disapproval, dislike, or disparagement. That's that's where we're at with it. But actually, evil was the word the Anglo Saxons used, you know, right in sort of the eighth century. They used the word evil in the same way that we use the word bad or cruel or unskilled or defective in terms of harm or crime or misfortune or disease. You know, they used it in in, in the same way that we would use the word bad. And in Middle English, bad then took on those connotations and evil began to be focused as being moral badness. Evil was seen in that in that thing as being moral badness, outside right behaviour. That, that's what evil became next, which was outside right behaviour. And it's interesting that we now associate evil with something demonic, some connection with latent forces. Of evil that exists. That's the sort of common understanding of it. You know, and we personify evil as the devil and then bring connections from that personification. We connect that to include all the forces and actions that are evil. When in fact, the true nature of evil is really that which is outside what's considered right behavior. And in the spiritual sense, that's selfishness, acquiring for ourselves rather than the general good. It's acquiring for ourselves rather than the general good. In other words, going against the idea of thy will be done and instead have my will be done. And it might seem a strong use of the word evil to characterize personal willfulness, but that's because we've exploited the concept of evil in a way that utterly condemns behavior, rather than the the older use of the word, which simply was used as a word for for that which was considered outside right behavior. There's a difference between demonizing and that which is outside right behavior. And now we have the devil and all the hordes and evil principalities and powers and fear that we seem to be ranged against. But if you go in that direction, it's completely against that concept uh, that we've talked about here before of non dual consciousness. Non duality means not two, or one undivided without a second. As the dictionary says, non dualism primarily refers to a mature state of consciousness in which the d- dichotomy of I, thou, is transcended and awareness is described as centerless and without dichotomies. In other words, the whole idea that all of reality is of one and that we in here, the idea that we in here are separate from everything out there is an illusion. And we've talked about that a lot. And if you have that idea of non duality, you can't have this idea of there being a devil or an evil power. We think we're separate by the virtue of the fact that we feel separate. You know, I can feel my hands and my body. I can see you're separate out there. And non-duality suggests the idea of one unity of consciousness, one form of life, one being that is expressed in many forms, with many heads and many bodies that although we feel that there is me and the rest of you out there, in reality there is this idea of one, and that includes what we think of as our inner reality and what we think of as our outer reality. Basically, they're fundamentally connected. And to see one as separate from the other, the idea of this is that's an illusion. And that's the concept of non-duality, and it's the central idea of the interconnectedness of all things and of evolution being a function of the evolution of consciousness. That all comes together in one idea. So if that is a reality, then how can we, there can be some demon out there that's out to get us? As it says in the Tao Te Ching, and I think this is such a telling phrase from the Tao Te Ching, think of your enemy as the shadow that you yourself cast. Think of your enemy as the shadow that you yourself cast. When you think like that, then it puts our ideas of who is evil and who is good in a completely different light. No one is beyond the the pale. No one is beyond the fence because there is no fence to be beyond because there is that sense of oneness. And those ideas of the devil And the forces of evil, they run so deep in our culture. They run so deep. I'd want to say, you know, myself, that you know, that there is no such thing as the devil. In the same way that I want to say that there's no such thing as God being an old man in the sky. Just as civilizations have seen God as a part of their own logic, you know, they've made God in the image of their logic. You know, he's either a chariot that goes across the sky, the sun, or living on Mount Olympus, or being an old man in the sky. You know, so we create the devil out of the same sort of logic that creates all that stuff. We think it's rational to think of the devil because of the Holocaust and X and Y and it all fits together and things like that. And therefore, we believe that there is a force for evil. And believing in it, we give it power in our lives. You know, we create rituals, we assign blame, we explain our world away in terms of an evil power. Because, you know, we don't have to take responsibility for it. It shifts the responsibility for evil away from ourselves and onto something else. Whereas, in reality, your enemy is the shadow of yourself. We have to take responsibility for the moral badness, evil, that exists in the world, the ignorance that leads to a lack of right behavior. You know, we get the society that we deserve. You know, we get the governments that we deserve. We get the planet that we deserve. And it's up to each of us to realize that and to individually take responsibility for it. And you can say, well, I can't make any difference, but that's for another sermon. You know, I've talked about that and you can. But it is us for us to take responsibility. And you know, it's all about education. Educare to bring out. Why do people do things that don't work? Not because they're bad and wrong but because they've not been able to see the efficacy of right action. That's the reason people do it. It's a function of education and not morality. And compassion for that lack of education is what's needed, not demonization. It's compassion that's needed, not demonization. And it's interesting that, you know, in the original Aramaic texts, they don't have that reference to evil in the original Aramaic test. They just have the words, let us not be led to the time of trial. That's what it has in the original Aramaic and it was added later on, the idea of evil one and all that sort of business. And of course, that trial is the trial of letting things be rather than trying to make them go our way. So let us not be led into the time of trial and let us not be led into temptation is us asking that we remind ourselves to be open to the will of that universal mind rather than enforcing our agenda on life. Again, as the Tao Te Ching says, do you have the patience to wait till your mud settles and the water is clear? Can you remain unmoving till right action arises by itself. The master doesn't seek fulfillment, not seeking, not expecting, she is present and can welcome all things. So, father of us, the one who is in the heavens, hallowed be your nature. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth, Give us today our bread from above that gives our whole life meaning. Cancel our debts as we cancel the accounts of those indebted towards us. And let us not be led into temptation to fiddle around, but deliver us from evil. But let us not be the effect of the behavior of others. All of it's leading up to asking us for the courage to live the life that's set before us and cooperating with the universal mind rather than trying to control life ourselves. To think that we understand life in such a way that we can control it doesn't show sanity. We don't understand. We, we don't know what's right. Why do you think in Genesis it said, you know, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good. We, it's not up to us to know. Life is infinitely more complicated than we can ever imagine. And so the only way to play the game of life is to discover what the rules are, not to try and dictate the rules ourselves in an attempt to beat the system. It's interesting to notice that even you know, the wealthiest men in the world gradually turn mad under the issue of control. You know, Howard Hughes could control anything he wanted except microbes, and that's what got him. He ended up isolated, padding around his room on tissue paper, terrified that he'd be contaminated in some way. And that's a logical extension of trying to control the game of life. Life is already in control. Our free will is to decide whether or not we cooperate with it. And yet we're tempted to control it. And finally, it's it's interesting that this temptation you know, was put into Jesus' life as well when he went into the desert. And he was given three temptations. It's always good to look at when you're looking at it. You know, the three temptations he was given. First of all, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That was the first temptation. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In other words, be a magician. Play to the crowd. Get their approval by giving them what they want. You can create anything you like, you know. You can do that. So it's the idea of of having people approve of you completely. And then the second one. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written that he will command the angels concerning you, and they'll lift up in their hands so that you don't strike your foot against the stone. You're the chosen one. The temptation is to be completely right about everything in your own mind and, and totally condemn others. So the idea of completely being right And finally, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus refuses to take control for himself by bowing down in any way to the world. He completely lets go. Simply put it, that third temptation is the need to be in control, to be aligned with the power and the money. It says in the Buddhist Dhammapada, it says, Do not turn away what is given you, nor reach out for what is given to others. Give thanks for what is given to you, however little. Why miss what you do not have? Let's pray. So in prayer, we open ourselves up. We remind ourselves of what's important and ask ourselves to, we give up to that great spirit, to that great nature, to that universal mind. And we ask to be reminded of how to do that. We do pray for all those suffering from the effects of climate change at the moment. and that our world will continue to wake up to this issue. That individually we may respond appropriately to the cries of those around us. We pray for those who are suffering from weather issues, suffering in war zones. Pray for conflict areas that there'll be resolution and peace. We pray that soft hearts be put into our leaders, that they may be leading us through the path of love, that you may work through them. Pray for those who are in prison, who are homeless, who are hungry. We pray we may be appropriate to our world Pray for those who are ill, in hospitals, those caring for them. Particularly, pray for Jeannie Waller, suffering from cancer. Rita Hunter, suffering from Lou Gehrig's disease. Heather Morrow, recovering from brain injury. Hayley Dart, recovering from a stroke. Robert George, recovering from shoulder surgery. Pat Smith with cancer. Patricia Overton having foot surgery this week. Pray for Heather Vesey and the family of Joy Lancaster, who died peacefully on Sunday. Pray for Connie Marino weber and her family on the death of her husband, John Weber, in a flying accident. John and Connie were friends of the chapel for many years. Pray for the family of Jean Austin, mother of Amy Maron, who died on Wednesday. We just ask that love in the universe is sent to all these people and their families. In Jesus' name, amen.